the point of that story is that if we think about what's really important in our lives, it's not that necessarily the places that we go or the things that we have. It's the people who are in our lives. Because life is really about relationships. Life is about the people that we do life together with. And this morning's sermon, I, I changed the title from the bulletin. It's the relative unimportance of nearly everything. Because what truly matters, and you've heard me say this and you'll hear me say this again, and this is a message that is timely for our graduates as well. We think that our future and our careers and all that stuff, where we're going to live and what we're going to do is all important. But, but those of us who have been down that road a little bit, all that stuff works out, where you work, where you live, all that kind of stuff. But what's truly important and what's truly the most valuable thing that you can invest in are the relationships that you have. We've said this time and time again, because when you get to eternity, you don't get to bring any of the toys. You just get to bring each other. So this morning, I want to look at what Jesus thinks is the nearly most important thing in the world. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to open to Luke, or you can read on the screen with us. Now, as they went on their way, he, Jesus, entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into, his home, into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, so that she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered Martha, 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 you are worried and distracted by many things, but there is need of only one Thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. We see this story. Culturally, Martha was probably doing the right thing, what was culturally accepted of her. In the first century, a woman's role was, in essence, to take care of the house, to do all the chores and all that stuff, to be hospitable whenever guests would come by. So Martha was going about what she thought she was supposed to be doing, what she ought to be doing. Now, what's interesting about here is that when she asks Jesus, like, hey, Jesus, tell my sister Mary to, do, to help me, the way that it's written in the Greek is like she was expecting Jesus to respond, yeah, Martha, you're right. Your sister should be helping you. But what does Jesus actually say to her? Martha, Martha. And, and she's saying it, and he actually says it in a way that is almost reprimanding her. He says, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things, but Mary, but there is need of only one thing, and Mary has chosen the part which will not be taken away from her. For how many of us are there just a ton of things that we have to get done on a daily basis? Is that true? It's true even for pastors who only work one day a week. But there are so many things. There are things that are urgent. We have to pay our bills. We have to go to the grocery store. We have to go to school. We have to go to work. There are so many things that are urgent that oftentimes we neglect the thing that is actually more important. There's a man named Dallas Willard who passed away several years ago who has influenced really thousands, if not millions, of pastors for the last 30 or 40 years. One man asked him, he said, Dallas, what, how do you, because this guy Dallas Willard was one of, these, one of these men who just seemed to have everything put together. He was calm. He was at peace. 
right? He was, a, he was a preacher, but he was also a teacher of philosophy and religion. And this man asks him, what must I do to kind of just experience the fullness of life? And Dallas Willard responds, eliminate, hurry from your life. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. I have found for myself anyway, I spend a lot of time in my car, which is frustrating because there's so much traffic here in Southern California. But I find that I'm oftentimes reading emails from my phone, which is why you guys don't always get responses until later, or I sometimes will just forget to email you back because you can't respond in your car. And I find myself like always having to go from one thing to the next thing, and you forget sometimes about the really important stuff in your life. Martha was so focused on what she thought she ought to be doing that she was missing out on what was the very best thing that she could be doing. What's also powerful about this story is that Mary, right, so women in the first century would never be at the feet of a rabbi. That wasn't their place. In the first century, Mary was supposed to be with Martha cleaning, cooking, and doing all of the chores. But in this story, she neglects all of the cultural norms. Everything that society had dictated was good and was correct for women to do, she neglected that because she knew that more important than what the culture was telling her, that what was more important was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Because she knew that sitting at the feet of Jesus would make everything better. She knew that what was urgent wasn't nearly as important as being in the presence of the one who gives life. For our graduates and for those of you who have full-time jobs, who work 14-hour days or 12-hour days, my message, and I think Jesus' message for you this morning, <clears throat> is to focus on what is truly important in this life. It's not what society tells us. It's not what the culture tells us is important. But Jesus tells you and me that the utmost valuable and important thing in life is being in the presence of Christ. The Bible calls Jesus the springs of living water. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the bread of life. And what that means is that it, he will be the one who sustains you even through the dry and dark patches of your life. The Bible tells us that the, he invites those who are thirsty to come to Jesus and he will quench your thirst. So going to work, it's kind of important because we have to have jobs, right? Hanging out with friends and family, paying bills, doing all of that stuff we have to get done. But don't do it and instead neglect spending time with Jesus. Now, I don't know, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, <clears throat> but I wonder what it would look like if we asked the question, how many of us spend daily intentional time with God? Don't, don't raise your hand. I sense that for many of us, because things get so busy and so compacted, that many of us actually put off that one thing. Because we say things like, well, God is a God of grace, and so he knows that I was busy, so he knows that I couldn't get to him today. And I think that's true. Like, I think that's 100% true. God is a God of grace. But what you will find is that the more time that you spend with God daily, the more things just seem to get better. Now, it's not a force field where all the bad stuff's not going to happen. Bad stuff's still going to happen. And it's going to happen. And it might even happen more. 
But how you're able to deal with the negativity, how you're able to deal with the pain and suffering and the unexpected obstacles, the more time you spend with God, the easier things will get. And I think all of the amens that we hear is because there are people who have gone further along in the journey than us that can attest to the fact that God will help in time of trouble. In the Mishnah, which is a Jewish commentary, it says, let your house be a meeting place for the sages, for the rabbis, and that you may sit at the feet of these wise men. It was this understanding that when someone, when this Jesus, for them, wouldn't, they wouldn't know it was Jesus, but when this rabbi, the rabbi of all rabbis, Jesus, was at your home, you should stop everything else. Now, was Martha doing anything wrong? No, she was doing what she was supposed to be. I, I wish we didn't have a Martha in the, in the, in the house today because <laughs> I keep picturing you and it's not. <laughs> she wasn't doing anything wrong. She was doing everything right. But sometimes doing all of the right things doesn't actually mean doing the best thing. Sometimes we have to just pause and go to the feet of Jesus. There will be no better investment in all of our lives than spending time with Jesus every single day. And if you're saying, like, that can't possibly be true, it's because you probably haven't done it. If you do it, you will see that things will just be different you will see the world in such a different light. And no one can really tell you about it. You have to experience it for yourself. But you see, we live in a world and we live in a place where because we are so distracted by so many different things, we never really are present to anything. Have you ever noticed that? How many of you have ever been cooking dinner with the TV on in the background? Any of you? You can raise your hand. That's not like, no one's going to judge you for that. How many of you have ever tried to send an email while you're on the telephone with someone? We've done that. How many of you have ever been in the car and taken a phone call or a text message? Yeah, we are, we are like, there are so many things coming at us. How many of you have ever been in a car with someone in the car and you're talking to them and you're on the phone and you're trying to get directions somewhere and you're trying to drive at the same time? Yeah. Because there are so many different things that are being thrown at us. Now, well, some of you may think like, yeah, I, I do that all the time and I'm good at it, right? We, we, we call that, what do we call that? Multitasking. Now, how many of you are good at multitasking? I'm not raising my hand, I'm just, I'm not good at it. I used to think I was good at it, but I realized I'm horribly bad at it. What, what, what Bible, not the Bible, but what researchers have showed us is that people who think they can multitask aren't actually multitasking. There's no such thing as multitasking. What you're actually doing, and, and a friend of mine who has studied cognitive sciences who understands this far better than I ever could, because I, I just don't get that stuff, was explaining to me that when people are multitasking, what you're actually doing is you're just switching back and forth really fast between different things. So you're not actually writing the email and listening at the same time. And so she tells me that what we're really doing is just going back and forth so quickly and we're never really giving or being fully present to one thing or the next thing. And what ends up happening is that everything that you do while you think that you're multitasking is actually going to suffer. Now, on the surface, sometimes it doesn't matter, right? If you're cooking and watching TV, I mean, it's not really, you just add ketchup to the food if it doesn't taste good. Like, it's not really that important, you know? Like, 
TV show, you can rewind on the DVR. But when it comes to the bigger things of life, when we try to multitask life with our spirituality, first of all, life isn't going to be as good as it could be. And your spiritual walk, your relationship with Jesus, isn't going to be as good as it could be. Because it's not just about getting as much done as possible, but it's about choosing the things that are the most important and focusing on those things. And when we choose Jesus as the most important thing in our lives, things just get better. It's, it's kind of like we see things through rose-colored glasses. The more you expose yourself to Jesus, the more you will have rose-colored glasses on. Amen? Amen? Now, for those of you who have experienced this, Let's say this week you have a really good week and you're able to spend, what's like a good time to spend with Jesus? Like for people who have regular jobs and kids and all that, like 30 minutes a day? Is that, that's, that's pretty good, right? Okay, yeah, 30 minutes is good. Like that's, that's good. Okay, so let's say this week you spend 30 minutes with God every single day and on Saturday you spend like three hours with God because you're at church, <laughs> right? And at, and at home you watch like Bible movies. So that's like five hours on Saturday. So let's say for a good week, you're, you're like all about Jesus and things are flowing really awesome. For those of you who have experienced this, what happens when the next week you kind of pull back a little bit because you just things get in the way? Is it the same? No. Because you can't live off of your previous loading of Jesus into your life, into the future. Like, sure, like you still know, you still understand, you still mentally understand that God's grace and blessings are there for us. We still understand all that. But it's not about building up our reserves and then trying to live out until those reserves run out because what we find is that those reserves run out like daily. And that's why it's so important to fill yourself with the word of God because the Holy Spirit does something when you read the scriptures. Now, for some of you, I know you may, and I've heard, because I've heard this, like say, like, it's not easy for me to read the Bible though, pastor. Like I didn't go to seminary. I didn't get all the commentaries. I didn't learn the Greek. I didn't learn all that. So what if I get the wrong thing? What if I read the wrong thing or understand it wrongly? Then what's going to happen? So I get that. Like I understand that. So there's more ways than one to just be exposed to the word of God. First of all, the Bible tells us that the word of God is Jesus. So one of the primary ways for you to do that is to begin your day with prayer. These are practical tips. Begin your day with prayer, right? So one of the effective ways of doing that, um, it's kind of a spiritual gymnastics, but how many of you um, sleep laying down? All of us. So, right, like, so if you're, like, laying down, and if you're on the right side or whichever side of the bed you're on, one of the cool things you can do, and it's a core exercise as well, so that's a free tip for your workout, for your workout enthusiasts. You just swing your body off the bed into a kneeling position and you go into prayer and if you're not the workout type and you're just like oh, i don't think i can do that that sounds like too much once you open your eyes in the morning you can actually close them up again and start praying right where you are because there's no better way to begin your day than to begin your day with prayer opening yourself up to the presence of God. And now if you're asking, well, what do I pray? Maybe you can pray a simple prayer that says, Father, I, I want to be open to your presence today from this moment on until I come back here tonight. Because God will honor those prayers. God will honor you if you are asking, if you are seeking. The Bible says that those who seek will find. Those who knock, the door will be opened. 
Those who ask will be answered. So the first way that you can open yourself up to God is just by a simple prayer in the morning. You'll see that just those few simple words will start to turn into longer passages of of prayer. The next thing you can do is obviously just go to the Word, open up your Bible. There are Bible applications, which most of you have smartphones now. There's an app called the Bible.tv app, I believe, that has like reading plans and devotionals and verse of the day. Start small. And if that's not enough, you can go to a Christian bookstore or Amazon and buy a devotional. I know some of you do better with devotionals because there's a text and then there's like an explanation. You can do that as well. Some of you are like, yeah, we know all of this, Pastor. I know I'm saying this because if there was like, if this was the last sermon I had to preach, this is what I wish that I could convey to all of you. There is nothing more important than entering into the presence of Jesus daily. Other ways you can do this is listen, you know, most of you have smartphones, make a playlist with Christian music on it. I can attest to this, and I'm a little bit ashamed of it, but like I have gone days where I, can, where I listen to Christian music. Usually it's when I'm sad, so okay, you guys, a little int- let you in behind the velvet rope there. Usually when it's I'm having a down day or I'm sad, I listen to Christian music like on a continuous loop because it just makes me feel better. But there are other days when I listen to not just Christian music where I have other playlists on my phone that isn't necessarily Christian music. Some of it's not that bad. Like, some of it's just normal stuff, right? Some of it is classics, right? Like Bob Dylan, I think. I don't know. Like one song. (laughs) Trying to sound cooler than I am. Um, (laughs) It's not that funny. And I've noticed that even though there's songs that I love, even though there are songs that are lyrically, like, just really great songs and, and everything is just right, the feeling I get from that doesn't come close to what it feels like when I'm listening to Christian music. And you guys know, like, I'm not this conservative, like, um, out-of-touch pastor that's holy and good. Like, I'm the opposite of that. Like, I know that. You guys know that about me. So I can attest that when I do these things, it makes things better. Another thing, um, and this may be for you or not, podcasts. There are sermons on. You can listen to me on a loop every week if you want. (laughs) I don't advise advise that you (laughs) But there's like hundreds of pastors with sermons online. There's audible books, audio books that you can listen to Christian books that talk about Jesus, that talk about God, that talk about biblical. I mean, there is no excuse. Most of us commute. You can do it while you're commuting. Some of us exercise. You can do it while you're exercising. Believe it or not, it makes you feel better than even like the best workout mixes out there. Because there is nothing, and I'm repeating myself, but there is nothing more important than being in the presence of Jesus. Because no matter what else is happening in your life, it won't matter as much because you know that the one who creates the universe has you in his hand. And and it doesn't matter what the future holds because you know whose hands you're in. And it is this God who will lead you regardless of the hell that you may be experiencing in the present. Because I know that life can feel extremely hellish. And I know some of your stories, and I know what you've been through, so I know what that looks like. But there's nothing more important than entering into the presence of Christ. Now, I have a few more minutes, so can I read a second story? It doesn't involve a genie, I promise. Here's a story to kind of give us some context, and I'm going to finish with this. Now, David... King David, before he was King David, when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid on the Negev and on Ziklag. Now, Ziklag was where 
um, where David used to live. So that was David's hometown. The Amalekites now, they had attacked Ziklag and burned it down and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great, because all the men were warriors and they left, right? They had gone out. They killed none of them, but carried them off and went their way. When David and his men came to the city, they found it burned down, and their wives and sons and daughters were taken captive. Right? So David has gone out. He's gone out in battle. They've gone out to help other neighboring people. David and, and what the Bible calls David and his mighty warriors. Right? So these were not just you know, regular Joes. They were like the best of the best. They go out. They, they come back after being gone for a while, and they find their city burned down. Everything was gone. Not only was it burned down, but their kids were taken and their wives were taken. Now, at that moment, they probably weren't sure if their, if their families were alive or not. I mean, when you're coming in from the horizon and you see from the distance that everything has been burned down, what are you going to assume? Your family is dead, too. So, right, so this is the scene that, that kind of they come up upon. And then David and the people were with them, raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal and of Carmel. David was in great danger, for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in spirit for their sons and daughters. So David, whom they had followed, they followed him without wavering. David, this leader, was like, now they were turning on him because they said they put it on him. They said, this is all your fault. This is because of you. If we hadn't have left, we would have been here to protect our women and our children. Oh, how does that happen? Let me read it to you from Scripture. Um, what is it? First Samuel. It says, David was in great danger for the people spoke of stoning him because they were all bitter. Now, this is the, the, the part that if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to underline if you do that. So he was in danger of being stoned, period, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Everything was going wrong for David. He didn't know if he was ever going to see the loves of his life. He wasn't sure if he was going to see his children. He wasn't sure if he was actually going to die because his men were going to turn on him. And what is the first thing that David does in this situation? He turns to who? To his chariot? To his sword, he turns to his best friend. Who does, who, who does David turn to? God. He turns to God, and it says that he strengthened himself in the Lord his God. There were a lot of urgent things that David needed to handle, most especially going after the people that took his wives and daughters and sons. That was the most urgent thing. But before he did that, the Bible, the story will continue to say that he inquires of the Lord. They had this way of doing it, which was like a vest with these jewels on it. It was an ephod. You can read about it, Google it, Wikipedia it. But basically, whenever kings or priests needed to know what God wanted them to do, they would come and they would inquire and they would ask God through this ephod. And it was like a vest with jewels. And depending on which jewel lit up, it was either yes, go or no, don't go. So before David did what any one of us would have done, which is gone into battle and taken his wife's, his wives back, he asks the Lord. He enters into the presence of God because there was nothing more important to David than being in the presence of the God who held his life together. 
this morning, if, if you are one of these people who you're saying, like, I, I, I know, I've been coming to church my whole life, and I know this message, and I know I need to trust God, and I know I need to begin my day, and I know that Jesus needs to be the most important thing in my life, but for whatever reason, you've just been putting it off. Maybe you haven't done it on purpose, but maybe it's, it's just because other things were more important. Maybe because you woke up late five days in a row. For whatever it is, I want to pray a special prayer for you now. I'm not going to ask you guys to come up. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. But if this is describing you, I just, I just want you to open your heart and just take it one day at a time. Because we don't know how many days are promised to us. We don't know how long our lives will be. But why would we want to put off being in the presence of Christ tomorrow when we can experience the fullness of his love today? And it's not about something miraculous or magical that's going to happen as soon as you do that. Well, what some of us know is that the way God shows up in your life, it's actually much more subtle. It's actually much more kind of like, oh, wow, like you're able to look back and realize, well, God was actually present then. So don't expect some fireworks or some kinds of, you know, wind or, or tongues from heaven as the Bible describes. I mean, I guess God could do that. But probably the way God works today is within our consciences and within our spirit. And the more that you expose yourself to God, the more you will be able to feel and sense his presence. And when you do that, you will know that things will be better. You will begin to see the world with rose-colored glasses. And your friends and family, when you start like quoting scripture and saying like, oh, you know, um, I'm, going to re I'm going to strengthen myself in the Lord, they're going to look at you with weird eyes and be like crazy. Jesus freak, fanatic, who cares? Because you will know that when you are centered on the one who has died for us, the Bible promises that you will be renewed with a new kind of life. And with this newness of life, all things are now possible. Let me pray for you now. Heavenly Father, we, we ask now, or I ask now for my brothers and sisters who are here, for those, Lord, who are wanting a deeper relationship with you, but for whatever reason, they just haven't had that opportunity. I pray now that today would be the first day of this new rekindled relationship with you. For those who have grown up in the church, for those who have been in the church for 50 years, may you fill them with a double portion of your spirit at this moment so that as they leave this place, you would continue to do the work of transformation in each one of them. I pray, Father, that for those who worry about the future, that you would just have, give them the faith that they need to be able to trust you as you lead them moving forward. For our graduates who have just the world ahead of them, Lord, may you fill them with hope, and may you fill them with faith, and may you fill them with the certainty of knowing that you will always be there for them. Father, we thank you that you have given us your word and we pray that as we go forward from this day on, that we would not neglect you, the most important thing, for all of the other things in the world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.